Away Mommy's podcast, The Optimal Mama. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast episode. Today we have Barbara Houston, formerly Stanny, and she is a best-selling author. Actually, her latest book is Rewire for Wealth. She's a sought-after speaker, workshop facilitator, money wealth coach, and today we're going to be talking about financial health with women. So stay tuned and enjoy the episode. I know her story, but Barbara, would you share with the audience a little bit about your story and what, how it has propelled you to where you are now? Yeah, well, of course, Brogan, thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to be here with you on Facebook. And yeah, I mean, thinking that you invited me on as a financial expert and to think where I was, that this is the last thing I ever thought I would ever do. I grew up in a wealthy family. My father was the R of H&R Block, and the only advice he ever gave me about money was don't worry, because under that was the unspoken assumption, there'll always be a man to take care of you, and I thought that was awesome. I didn't understand money, but the man I married, who was a stockbroker, so I thought he was perfect, turned out to be a compulsive gambler, and I found out many, many times over the course of our 15-year marriage is that he was gambling my money my inheritance. And the insane part is I continue to let him manage it because that's how terrified and intimidated I was about anything to do with finances. Finally, after our divorce, I, I, after 15 years, I got a divorce, but I knew I had to get smart about money. Like I just, I, I did all the classes. I did all the, uh, I took the, I read the books and my eyes would glaze over, my brain would fog up. And then I got a tax bill. I got a tax bill for over a million dollars for back taxes my ex didn't pay for legal deals he got us in. My ex had left the country. I did not have anywhere close to a million dollars, not even, oh my God, not even close. And my father wouldn't lend me the money. And I had three daughters, young, one was just a baby. I was not gonna raise those girls on the street, but I didn't know what to do, but I swear, I really believe this. When you make a commitment, like a down to your toes, no holds barred commitment, the universe revolves to help you reach your goal. And I was a journalist writing for the San Francisco Business Times on workplace issues. And I was hired as a freelance project to interview women who were smart with money. And those interviews changed my life. I not only got smart about my own money, but I wrote my first book, Prince Charming Isn't Coming, How Women Get Smart About Money. And suddenly I had this whole new career. <laughs> and here I am seven books later talking to you about money. Your story is so inspiring. And I know for me, I think I've been like three years into like my money story and I'm still like, there's so many things. So for you, what would be the one thing you would advise women especially to do to take that first step? Well, it's not one thing. What I would advise them is to really see it as as getting smart or smarter about money. Really taking charge of money is a four-pronged process as I've learned through my own experience. I started with what I call the practical, you know, the outer work of wealth. And that, that's the practical. And I t- read the books and you, you, know, you understand the difference between a stock and a bond or how to negotiate for a raise and all of that. But when that doesn't work, when you get stuck like I was, when my, your brain <laughs> fogs out, 
it's important to do what I call the inner work of wealth. And that's really examined to, to look under the hood, to go deeper, to examine your attitudes, beliefs, and early decisions you made about money, how money, the relationship your family of origin had with money, and to really look at what the inner workings are. And then, especially for women, there's what I call the higher work of wealth. And this is the spiritual aspect. And, and I believe that we are all here for a purpose. We are all on this planet to do what we're here to do, but you can't possibly pursue your purpose and playful out while you're struggling to make ends meet or you have financial problems. And, and that's what I think motivates women more than anything is really using money to do what they're here to do, to make a difference in the world and to get clarity on that. And then there's what I call the deeper work of wealth and which has to do with the book, my, my latest body of work. And that is how the mind and the brain work together. And when you can understand how you can use your mind to re-sculpt your brain, you can more easily change your behavior. So really it's doing the practical, the inner, the outer, the higher, and the deeper work of wealth. That's super powerful. Cause I feel like, you know, looking back on my journey, I thought it was just like, you know, in the doing, right? But there's so much inner, inner work to be done around money. So what do you think money stands for when people are, you know, stuck or feel like they're not, they can't have it or create I don't it? Think, I don't think money stands for anything. Money is nothing. It is what we project onto it mm. that gives us its meaning, that gives us for, for some, I mean, I just had a client this morning and what I found with many is she was so traumatized as a child fairly traumatized, had some really awful things happen. And what I found that so many successful women come to me who make a lot of money, but they have nothing to show for it because there's no better way to numb the pain of the trauma, or the early abuse than creating financial turmoil. So to really look at not what money means to you, but what is at the source because problems with money are never, ever, ever about money. There's always something deeper. And when you can find that deeper issue, money is just a symptom of whatever is going on underneath. Mm. So it's kind of like, I mean, I would say how you do one thing is how you do everything, but that ripples into how you do money, right? It's like, it's like you can't slice up your life like a pizza and say, oh, okay, I'm just going to work on finances because whatever is going on with money is going on in other areas of your life. There is always that pattern. And for women, for women, I realized I, I've started working, doing this work as a financial therapist and wealth counselor for over 25 years. And I realized very early on that women's issues, their difficulty with money has very little of anything to do with money. And it has everything to do with their fear of or ambivalence about power. Because I believe women do not understand power from a feminine perspective. I define a powerful woman as someone who knows who she is, who knows what she wants, and expresses that in the world unapologetically. So our fear of power is our fear of showing up completely, becoming all of who we are, instead of watering ourselves down so we don't make waves. Because really, taking control of your money 
becoming financially successful, it's not what you have to do, it's who you have to become. You have to become a container that can attract, that can hold, and they can grow your wealth. Yeah, yeah, this is landing for me. Um, how so? Can I ask you how is landing for you? Yeah, just being being the person. Because so for so long, I didn't understand what that meant. You know, people, I had coaches like saying, "Be the person," and I'm like, "What does that mean?" So, can you, for the person that's listening, that might be saying, "What does that mean?" Can you explain? I will explain exactly. It means doing what you fear. That is the number one requirement because success in anything, whether it's making more money or losing more weight, it's always lies just outside your comfort zone. I have three daughters in their thirties and forties. And whenever they feel stuck or confused, don't know what to do, they always call me. And they always say, mom, I'm stuck and confused. What do I do? And they know exactly what I'm gonna say. And I always say, what are you most scared to do? And they tell me, and I said, that is exactly what you have to do. It's like Joseph Campbell, one of my favorite quotes, Joseph Campbell, the mythologist said, the cave you fear to enter is where your treasure lies. So it's for me, I'll still say that to me. What am I most scared to do? And I know in order to get to that next level, that's what I need to do. Yeah, this is everything. I've I've learned this this year. Like when I feel resistant to something, that means I get to say yes. And it sucks at first, but it's like there's a, a sense of freedom on the other side of that. Beautiful. And beautiful. And resistance, I, I think resistance is really most people don't understand resistance because whenever you decide to do something you haven't done before or are scared to do or don't know how to do, you're going to come up with resistance. Resistance is natural it's inevitable, it's good. It shows that where you wanna go is exactly where you need to go. But your primitive brain is saying, and your brain, all it wants for you is that you live, that you survive. Your brain will say, no, don't go there, it's dangerous, it's dangerous. But that's exactly, exactly where your treasure lies. Yeah, I would love to ask, sorry, go ahead. No, but I was gonna say, the key to that, as I've learned, because when I interviewed for my second book, I wanted to learn how to make a lot of money. I was a chronic under earner. So I interviewed 154 women who made six and seven figures. And I became a six figure earner before I even finished writing the book, Secrets of Six Figure Women. And that's when I learned that the key was to stretch, to do what they were scared to do. I ask under earners, when's the last time you did what you were scared to do? And they go, they can't think. I ask high earners, they say all the time, it's a way of life. This is what I call the high earner slogan. If it's not illegal or immoral, I just say yes. But, but here's the key. These women were, they were very confident, very confident. But as we got deeper into these interviews, every single high earner struggled with fear, struggled with self-doubt. Many of them felt like a fraud and were afraid others were going to find out. And I thought that's just like me, but the difference between them and me is they didn't let the fear stop them. And one of the things they did, which was so important, is they found support because we women are so relationship oriented. They surrounded themselves with support. They surrounded themselves with people who would just say, 
you can do this, you go. They surround themselves with role models, even just seeing people they didn't, they didn't, might not have known, but seeing others do it. That was what's so helpful for me, interviewing these, these women. I had a role models. I saw how they did it. I saw how they were scared and they went and did it anyway. And if they fell down, they got back up, surrounded themselves with more support and kept on going. Absolutely. So yeah, like the, how important like for you is the environment, right? Because if you go back to the old environment with, you know, people that don't think that way, you're going to go back to your old habits, right? Right. What do they say? You become like the five, five people you hang around with most. So it's really important to find supportive people and to minimize or eliminate people that aren't supportive in your life. Absolutely. So what would you say changed in you while you were doing these interviews with these women? What changed in me was the first thing is I didn't let fear stop me. Fear was not in, in indicator that I was on the wrong path. In fact, fear was the indicator that I was on the right path, <laughs> that I, that that's where my treasure lay. And the other thing that did it for me is the idea of support. But the other thing is I saw women doing it. I saw women and I saw that it, they didn't have to have the whole thing figured out. That there's something almost magical about making a commitment that when you may, and I spoke about it earlier, but when you make a commitment, two things happen. One, you start attracting coincidences, synchronicities, and you don't have to have the whole thing figured out. It's, it was every story of, uh, of these high earners, these successful women, these savvy investors, every single story had in it a period where they were scared they made a commitment, no matter what, and then they started attracting coincidences. And that is the key. You don't have to have everything all figured out. You just follow what comes next. And I kind of live my life like that. That's so good. Because I know for me, I used to be so attached to like the how and all like all these little pieces. And now it's like, trust and and the how will appear right and to be unattached to the outcome while being committed as you were saying so here, here's what i say if you make a commitment and in two weeks you you have not had coincidences or indications of where what to do next then go back to the drawing board because you're not committed because what happens when resistance shows up Wall resistance is, is a psychological reaction to an internal conflict. Part of you wants to, and a part of you doesn't. And the key, when you make a commitment and nothing does show up, look at what the part of you that doesn't want to, and really go deep and explore that. And there are many ways to do that. But it, it's, as long as you have this internal conflict, you will stay stuck. So how, like, how would someone know, you know, that they have this internal conflict? Is it just like, they're not taking the action that they need to take? They feel stuck. They feel resistant. They can't, they just get frustrated. They're going in circles. The dog, the hamster wheel, the dog chasing the tail. You know it, you know it. The trouble is you don't know what to do. So when I get like that, cause I get like that all the time. I get stuck. I get, I always look at, okay, there's a part of me that wants to. There, there, there's a story I have in one of my books about 
two butterflies walking along, two, two caterpillars, two caterpillars walking along. And they see a butterfly overhead. And one says to the other, you'll never get me up in that contraption. It's like, two, we're like these caterpillars. Part of us wants to fly and the part of us doesn't. And so when I feel stuck, I always look at, okay, what's the part that doesn't? And oftentimes I'll do a voice dialogue. And you can do that by the part that wants to sits in one chair and the part that doesn't want to sits in another. Or I write it, the part that wants to, the yes and the no. And then get to know that part that doesn't want to. Get to know that part, what it's scared of. Don't try to ignore it or push it away and see how the part that wants to could protect and work with the part that doesn't want to and to get them on the same team. That's important because they both they both really just want the same thing, right? Both parts? Well, usually one part wants to fly and the other one part wants to stay safe. But I mean, and I feel like- You have to figure out how you the part that wants to fly can keep the person safe and how the person that's safe can keep the part that wants to fly from mm. going too far out of bounds. So yeah. if they can work together, they, they don't want the same thing, but if you can get them to see how they can support each other, that's how you can do it. Beautiful. So um, I'd love to know like how you, you, how old were your kids when this happened with you and your, your ex-husband? <laughs> My, uh, my, my, the gambler. Yeah. They were, when, when I got divorced. Yeah. Uh, one was 12, one was nine and one was a baby. Really newly born. So, and, and it was terrifying. And I, I, I waited 15 years to get divorced. Partly because I had a little baby spirit that wanted to come through me. Once she was born, it's like, okay, I, 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 Okay. I'm going to tell you the truth. I did not want to get divorced, even though he was gambling my money away, even though he was putting at risk, I could not putting my whole family at risk. I could not imagine me alone. I was terrified to be alone. I didn't think I could survive. I had no confidence. And then he got physically abusive. And then he got physically abusive. And that's the only thing that got me out of there. And that's when I left. And I didn't, and I, <laughs> I remember saying to my lawyer, I don't think I want to get divorced. I just want a legal separation. And she said, are you kidding me? <laughs> she said, no. And she made me sign the divorce papers. And the best thing I ever did. That's beautiful. So how long would you say it took you from that moment to become a six-figure earner? Oh, first I had to understand money. That, that's the first thing that came because, and I'm glad I did because wealth does not and really what, what I do is I want to help people, women create wealth, not just, and wealth, wealth means you have more than enough, more than you need. It's not an amount, but it's where freedom comes from. It's where the power to be able to use your money to change the world. So wealth does not come from what you earn. Wealth comes from what you do with what you earn. So I learned first what to do with what I earned. I learned that the three steps to creating wealth are spending less, saving more, and investing wisely. And I had to understand how to do that. And I did a lot of inner work. I did a lot of, I went to Debtors Anonymous for years 
to learn about spending. I did a Lord did a lot of work on my codependency to learn about putting myself first and not sacrificing myself for the sake of others. So I had to do a lot of healing work, which took quite a few years. And I had to understand about savings because I had no money, but I had some property that my husband couldn't touch. And that property took in enough, brought in enough money that if I lived very frugally, I would be okay. And I had to learn how to live frugally. I had to learn how to save and I became a great saver. And I had to learn about how to invest. And once I could do that, then I decided, okay, now I wanna learn how to earn money. And I did. And I became a very good steward of my money because that's the thing that was so surprising when I interviewed these women who make six, six and seven figures, they made a lot of money, but how few of them were wealthy that they were so busy making the money that they didn't have the time or the interest or skills to manage it. I remember interviewing this woman. She made, this was in the year 2000 and she made 750,000 a year. She was an executive in the entertainment industry in LA. $750,000 a year. And she said, I feel like I'm one step from away from a refrigerator carton on the street. I said, how is that possible? She says, my biggest investment was shoes in Neiman Marcus. She had this belief that someday something would come, and she was in her 50s, someday something would come along and save her. And it's that the first thing I learned is that the, that the Prince Charming syndrome is still alive and well, even among younger women. And it's not necessarily they're looking for a man, but they think something is going to come and save them. Yeah, I, I felt like this after Delilah, I was like severely depressed and I was waiting for something. I don't know, my husband, you know, something to save me or fix, fix, what was going on internally and and no one can fix it but us yeah and that that was the first realization that was the realization that turned the key for me when i was interviewing these women for my first book constarming isn't coming i saw they had what changed. it wasn't what they did it was how they fought and when i shifted my thinking that's when everything changed. and i saw they had all come to a series of realizations and the first realization they all came to, until they, until they came to this realization, they could not get a handle on their money. And it was that no one's going to do this for me. No one's going to, Prince Charming isn't coming. And once I got that, then I could start acting on it and it changed everything. Yeah, that's, that's, so empowering and uh can you talk more about because i know like even now right like where women are i feel like are stepping more into their power and and making money but there's still that need from to you know to have their husband take care of everything and prince charming's lot die prince charming's leave prince charming's always aren't such great money managers and you don't have to take charge of it but you have to participate in financial decisions. That's what I'm saying from a place of knowledge and not fear, ignorance, or habit. And the key yeah. is to educate yourself. And I'm going to give you three steps. This is what I did. Give you three steps because it doesn't take a lot of time to get smart. And it does not take a lot of money to create wealth. And it's never, ever, ever too late to start. Ever. If you do, it's because it's small steps consistently taken that create wealth. And if you do these three things, 
consistently, religiously for three months, you will be amazed at the difference, okay? Here are the three things. First, every day, read something about money, even if it's just a minute or two. Even if you just open to the business section of the paper and peruse the headlines. Even if you're standing in line to check out at the market, you pick up money magazine instead of people and leak through it. Even if before you go to bed at night, you take a finance book and you read one paragraph because so much of getting smart or smarter is just familiarizing yourself with the jargon, the current trends. So every day read something. Every week have a conversation about money, preferably with, with someone that knows more than you. I think it is our secrecy and silence that keeps us stuck. So I started, I mean, I was learning so much from these women. So anytime I met anyone, who knew was reasonably smart about money, I would say, can I pick your brain? Can I take you out for tea? Can I have a call? And I would ask them questions like, well, how did you get smart? What's the best advice that was given you? What's the biggest mistake you ever made? What would you do differently if you started again today? I would just ask them questions and people were so good about talking. So every day read, every week talk, and every month, automatically even if you take $25 it doesn't matter and you have the bank automatically transfer from your checking account or your payroll check to a savings account but you don't touch and you let it build and you'd be amazed how much and then after you have a, a certain amount like three to six months saved then you can start doing the same thing automatically with investing which you've been reading about and talking about so you understand Yes. So my question would be, do you even save when you're like in debt or something like that? Oh yeah. You've got to save. I would reduce my debt payment and take that to savings because here's the, there's the cycle of debt that is really hard to get out of that you pay back your debt. But if you have no savings, the first emergency, the first unexpected expense will send you right back into debt. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really important to save. There's nothing, savings gives you more than just money in the bank. It gives you peace of mind. That's powerful. Cause if you, like my husband loves to pay the statement balance and for him, the thought of lowering a payment, like stresses him out. So it's, I, I love that you're saying, you know, to always save first. Yes. Now I don't recommend buying things you can't afford oh. so that when the credit card comes in, you can't pay it. I don't recommend that. What I do recommend is if you have debt to stop using your credit card, stop, mm. stop, take that, take a tin can, you know, aluminum can, empty it, fill it with water, put your credit card in, put it in the freezer. And then, <laughs> like that. then you have to, it, you can't thaw it out in the microwave. So you have to take some time to let it thaw out. So you don't have to make impulsive decisions. So it's really important that you don't spend what you don't have, but that if you have debt, you stop using your credit cards, you stop paying it down at the same time you start savings. Mm, awesome. Okay. So I want to ask, because I know a lot of people like Robert Kiyosaki, they talk about using debt to make money. I would love to know your thoughts on that. I will tell you my personal thoughts. I, I don't use debt to make money. I, I don't like debt. I don't, it just doesn't feel good to me. It's a personal value. I think there are, there are times to do bit, but you use debt when you know you can pay it back. You know you can pay it back in a timely fashion. 
I just was talking to a client yesterday who rented an office, <laughs> buying office furniture, and she has no income, but she knows she will. And so she's using her credit cards to finance her business. That is not good debt. That is very scary, risky debt. If you use a line of credit to make your payroll, but you know you'll have income coming back that you can pay it back in a timely fashion, go ahead. This is great. Yeah, because I mean, I know for me so many times I've done kind of what she did where I'm like, I'll have it. And I, I, to me, it was like, oh, I'm manifesting. I'm opening, right? But that's not really how it works. No, no, that and that, and I mean, you may be a great manifester, but that is not being a good steward of your money. And it's also being, and I'm not talking to you, but I'm talking to everybody and it, for me too. It's out of integrity to spend money that you don't have because you're fooling yourself, you're fooling others. You don't have it. And it, it's really all, this is about power. And all power is, is truth. Truth is power. And to tell the truth, I don't have it yet, but I will save and I will have it. That's powerful. That is an integrity. That is powerful. Yeah, truth. And believe me, Brogan, the way I learned this is by making all the mistakes. Yeah. This is, not, it did not pop out of the womb knowing this. This did not come intuitively and naturally. This was making those mistakes, getting in over my head and figuring out, oh, that wasn't smart. There's a better way. Yeah. So what kept you going? Like what kept you being like, okay, well I fucked up or I went in over my head and yet I got to keep going. Like what was your bigger vision? My children, my children. I, 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 I don't know what I would have done because the last thing I wanted to do was face my debt and face money and face all the shame I had around. That's the last thing I wanted to do. I wanted to hide. But I had three daughters and I it was not going to raise them on the street. And I was not going to be a role model of a person who is who is irresponsible with money. I just was not. And that that was my catalyst. And you did it and you're here. So you're inspiring many women. And I just want to thank you for not giving up on yourself. Thank you. That's very sweet of you to say. And and that's what it is. It's not the money. It's how you feel about yourself when you take charge. I remember when I sold Prince, my first book, Prince Charming, to, to um, Penguin. And I remember my editor who worked on my book. I remember I met her for the first time and we went out for lunch and I said to her, uh, do you invest? And she goes, Oh, no, no, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough money. I, I could tell she was embarrassed, so I didn't say anything. So I wrote the book, which took about a year. It took another year. It was after about another year after it was out, she called me. And she said, I have to tell you, at that lunch, I did have money. It was in my 401k, but it was all in cash. And my brother, who was an investment banker, kept telling me how foolish that was. But it wasn't until I read your book that I realized that was really dumb. So I found a financial advisor and I started learning about money and I started investing. And she said, I even took my spare change out and put it in a jar. And when I had enough, I would buy a couple of shares of Disney or something. And I said, oh my God, that's wonderful. It's fabulous. And then she said to me the words, I always hear once a woman takes charge. She said, I have to tell you, Barbara, I feel so powerful. And that is what, we, what, I, what I teach this. 
It is not about amassing money. It is about how you feel about yourself. This is so good and so true. I know in my journey, like the, the more confident I feel in myself, then I feel like I can handle more money or whatever it is. But the me three years ago would be terrified. But it's by handling your money, being terrified, by taking those baby steps of just reading something or talking to people or just taking a class. It's by doing those baby steps that you start building your self-esteem. You start, because every time you make a commitment and you break it, you say, I'm going to learn and you don't. Or you say, I'm going to stay out of debt and you don't. It robs you. It takes a chunk of your self-esteem away. Yeah, I know for me, like even when I say something little, right? Like, you know, to the kids, I'll be a minute and I'm not a minute. Like for me, it's like, I'm out of integrity. I'm out of alignment. And it's, you know, it's a ripple effect. It's a good, it was a good, yes. It's the little things we don't realize. It's those little things that chink away at our confidence and our feeling of integrity. Yeah, I think a lot of, I mean, I can only speak for how I used to be, but I used to think it was a lot of things. And now I'm like, no, it's just the little things every single day. Cause I always like to use the analogy of a plane, but if a plane goes 1% off course, it's somewhere totally different, you know? And it's no different than when we do the small things. But the interesting thing about a plane or a rocket ship, it's always going off course, but it goes back, goes off course, goes back, goes off course. So it's not about going off course, it's bending back. Yeah. Getting back in alignment with where you want to go. Yeah. And it gets easier and easier over time as you practice. It gets easier and then challenges come and then you face the challenges. That's what growth is. The challenges get bigger as you get stronger. Yeah. Yeah. And that's powerful, right? Because I mean, you're still even facing challenges and it's never, I feel like until we hit the grave, it's, it just keeps going. That's what makes life fun. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> totally. So you mentioned earlier about being in power, in your power in a feminine way. And I'd love for you to talk about that because I feel like a lot of women are in their masculine wanting to be powerful. I know for many years I was to like take control or whatever was going on underneath the surface, but can you talk about what it means to be powerful in a feminine way? Yeah, the male, the male, the patriarchy uh, version of power is power over. The feminine version, and I believe the version we are slowly moving into humanity is power with. And the key to power, and I'm gonna say my, again, I'll, I'll repeat it. My definition of power is someone who knows who she is, who knows what she wants and expresses that in the world unapologetically. So essentially power is our truth. It's when we know, when we can say what is true for us and we can express it in the world and not worry about, you know, rattling people's cages or upsetting people, but we can really live, speak, live and behave according to our truth, that is power. And when you can interact with other people who support that, who are modeling that, who are doing that just like you, that is real power. Yeah, it's huge. And it's not until you step into that, you realize what it is. Cause I know for so long I was, I would judge people, right? Of power of money. And it's, it's not like that at all. 
No, but we, we, we judge what we, what we fear. We judge what we fear. Yeah. Yeah. Judgments. <laughs> and I feel like my judgments, whatever I'm judging is holding me back from what I want. It is. Judgment separates you from what you want. Judgment, when you judge another person, you separate yourself from that person. When you judge uh, a thing, you separate yourself from that thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how do you lead? I know you have a couple, like a lot of things going on, but how do you coach, the, you know, your women um, to being financially free and, and wealthy? So I do... I just want to, I want to put a plug. Can I put a plug in for a group I have? This has been a dream of mine and I guess it's about four years old now. I have a, an online community on Facebook called the Wealth Connection. And this is women. It's a safe place for us as women to talk about money. And believe me, we talk about money very, very differently than men do. Because it's not just about money, it's the emotional aspects. It's the psychological dimension. It's the spiritual part. And so I really want to, if anybody's interested, you can go to my website, barbara-huson.com and look under coaching. And there you'll see that that's a group coaching. We also have experts come on and I do master classes and we have book clubs and we just have all kinds of things. And it's very, very affordable. Um, so generally speaking, that's a great way to start, but what I do in my, I call myself a financial therapist. And so I, we go, we go really deep because it's, as I said earlier, the problems with money are never about money. It's looking at what's underneath that's keeping you from expressing yourself fully, fully being who you fully are. And one of the things, the first thing I have people do is send me a list of what their goals are for our work together. Not their goals for their life or their, their, their family or their short-term goals, but what has to happen between you and me for you to be able to turn to your girlfriend and say, oh my God, it was worth every penny. And those are very important to get clear on what you want. Because as I said earlier, it's, it's not about money, it's about power and owning your power. And the way, the first step to owning your power is by asking yourself one question. And that question is, what do I want? Not what does my husband want or what do my children want or what does society want? Does what my mother wants? What do I want? And that's your first step to taking your power back. And so we look at what do you want to accomplish? And we get very, very clear on what they want. And we make very sure that what they say they want is what they really want. Because very often what they say they want, that's when I talked earlier about conflicting, a part of them wants it. But like you could say, I want money. I really want money. But if you want to be liked and you think rich people are bad, then what you want is to be liked. You don't want money. You want to be liked. Or if you think it's scary, it's scary to make a lot of money. You have to do things that are scary and you want to be safe. Then it's not money you want. It's safety. So we look at what they really want and give them a con uh, an opportunity to shift that. This is some powerful stuff. This is so good. And I want to, this is so good. I want to like almost leave it here. So just one last question before we go for the woman that's like, what is under what I want? Like, how would they 
uncover that by themselves or what is a you know any questions or prompts i don't think this should be done by yourself okay i mean i i i I mean you can you can uh but i guess i'm the type of person that i like to reach out and get help yeah Uh, okay but when things aren't working to really tell the truth tell the truth about what's not working not without having to solve it without having to do anything, without having to change anything. The first thing, tell the truth. What most of us wanna do is sweep it under the rug, ignore it, pretend it's not happening or rush through it. Oh, shoo. No, really tell the truth and really look at what's, what's the source of that. Where'd that come from? How is it serving me? What is the payoff? to really explore and analyze. And I always recommend journaling. If, if that's something you like to do, if it's not, you don't journal. But really journaling about this issue. What is it? What, where is its source? Where is its origin? How was my family like this? Because so our behavior with money has been often inherited from our family of origin. I always say that financial success, especially for women, is an act of individuation. An individuation is a psychological task we all should have accomplished by the time we were adolescents, and most of us haven't, and that is separating from your family of origin, taking what serves you and leaving with us. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So now I have one more question popping into my mind. Because <laughs> I always think about Delilah, and I always think about the unconscious mind kind of like until seven or eight. So what do you recommend for parents with children, how to teach them about money, like any simple ways? Well, I'll tell you what I did because my children were all young, especially I have a baby. So I, um, they, so they were nine and 12. But what I would suggest is I would, what I did is I would talk to them about, frankly, about money. And I know when Anna, my, my youngest, when she got, when I started giving her allowance, we had three jars. One jar was for saving, one jar was for spending, and one jar was for giving. And we would figure out how to, on that. And I'll never forget, you know, she, she could spend whatever she wanted, she could save, and then for giving. And I'll never forget, after a year, we had enough coins in that giving jar, and she, she loves animals. And we took it to the humane center, you know, the animal shelter. And I'll never forget the look on her face when she gave them this jar and how excited she was. So I think it's important to share with them what you are doing that's responsible, not preaching, not telling, but sharing, getting them a piggy bank, you know, just little things. Beautiful. This is so good. And I love like the giving piece because that's so, so important. I know uh, I grew up kind of scarce with my money and, and scared to give, right? And uh, it's so important. So thank you so much. I'd love for you to tell the audience where to find you and you have a free gift for them. So just a little bit about that. Yeah, so you can find me on my website, Barbara-Hewson. I always like to say Barbara-Hewson and Barbara-Hewson.com. There's lots of good stuff on there. And the free gift is called uh, Guided Visualizations for Overcoming Under Earning. And my third book I wrote was called Overcoming Under Earning. It's my, one of my favorites. And this, will, this has some meditations from that book and some other ones 
guided visualizations to take you through to help you overcome and earn more money. Awesome. Yeah, this is so powerful. I know the books that I've read, super powerful, like changed my life forever. And um, I will link it below. So make sure you grab it and do the work. Like, you know, we can read the books, but if we're not actually taking action, then it's it's going to get us nowhere. So please listen to them. Let us know what you think. And thank you again so much. Uh, it's been an honor to have you on here. Yeah, it was really fun talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoy this podcast episode, please share with a friend and tag at the optimal mama on Instagram. Let us know what you think. And most importantly, take action. So if you learned something from this episode, please apply it to your life, take action and watch things around you transform. Until next time. Thank you for listening.